Welcome to our September Empower Women podcast episode, Mindfulness in Our Relationship with Money. This month, we were joined by Lauren Lanning, a partner at Retirement Impact, principal of Rise Excel Corporate Wellness, and certified mindfulness meditation teacher. In this episode, Lauren talks about examining our relationship with money so we can consciously align our financial actions with our goals and values. She also discusses how our thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, and emotions about money impact our financial actions and how to break through bad money habits to create new habits that support our financial goals. Enjoy. Really appreciate the opportunity. And I love what you've done with this Empowered Women series. I was looking through some of the old podcasts um, that are out there and it just seems like great content. So what a great value add for you and, and your all the, all the people that you and Lexington Wealth touch. Um, so I'll introduce myself real briefly. And as Christine said, I, I'd love to keep this open and interactive. I'd love to have you ask questions, to jump in. I have some prepared material, but what's most important for me today is that you walk out of here kind of having a better understanding with this concept of mindfulness and our relationship with money. Um, so a little bit about my background. I'm a partner at Retirement Impact. We're a uh, company that works with retirement plans. So we work with corporations, nonprofits, higher education institutions, and doing all the fiduciary governance and oversight. Um, I've been in financial services for over 20 years, um, and I'm also the principal of a new uh, startup. We were talking about startups. It's a, it's a corporate wellness company called Rise Excel, where I'm really bringing together my knowledge and uh, everything I've learned from being in the financial services industry for so long, um, pairing that with some of my mindfulness background. Uh, I'm also a certified mindfulness meditation teacher. I teach in my community and I got involved with meditation about seven years ago. And it was at a point in my life where I was feeling a lot of stress and pressure from my existing job. I worked in an asset management firm. I was traveling a ton. I had two young kids at home at the time. And it sort of all just hit a boiling point. And I was looking for ways to help manage my stress. And I had ended up connecting with someone who um, was able to kind of coach me one-on-one, -on -one, teaching me firsthand some of these principles, uh, the foundational principles of Vipassana meditation, which is where a lot of this teaching and the uh, content we'll talk about today comes from. Um, so that's just a little bit about my background. I've been teaching meditation um, for the past three years and more recently working to create this training program called Mindfulness in Our Relationship with Money, which is what we're here to talk about today. Um, so I'll have really four main points I'll cover today. Uh, the first is really introducing this topic of what is mindfulness and what does that mean? What is our relationship with money? Um, why we should care about that? why money has such a big impact on our lives. And finally, uh, some tools that we can use as individuals to really uh, work with this um, understanding of, you know, get to get a better understanding of our own relationship with money. Does that sound good to everyone? We'll cover those four, but again, jump in, ask questions. Um, I really want you to leave here with a good understanding of what we mean, because this stuff can get a little bit um, complicated. And uh, I'll start by really laying down some simple definitions uh, for the for the word mindfulness in general, because I really feel like this word is big, it's broad, maybe it's a little bit overused today. We hear it a lot. Uh, what does it mean, right? So when I talk about mindfulness, um, what I like to think about is this idea of having an experience or having a situation without getting carried away by it, right? So to this ability to see what's happening in our mind and in our body, without being carried away. 
Another definition I use when I teach it um, in kind of a more formal setting is a widely used definition by a gentleman named John Kabat-Zinn. And if you don't know who he is, he's essentially one of the people that was attributed to bringing um, this, these teachings of Vipassana from India back to the U.S. Um, around the 70s. There's seven or eight people that can really be kind of pointed to when you're talking about who's bringing these ideas back to the US and he's one of them. And the definition that he's coined is this, uh, this ability to pay attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally, right? So when we think about the way I'm defining it, the way he's defining it in concept, it's, it's fairly easy to understand, right? We're just trying to be present without judgment, but it's actually one of the hardest things we can ask ourselves to do because our minds are not wired to be in the present moment. Rather, we spend most of our day kind of rehashing the past or planning for the future. Maybe right now you're thinking about what's for lunch or dinner or whatever, right? Uh, most of our mind is just spent, and that's just the way that we're wired. That's just part of being human, which is why mindfulness and meditation is a practice, and it's something that we can work at and we can get better at. And I like to think about it as... Um, this practice of meditation is, is just like going to the gym for our minds. And I like the analogy of the gym because I bet every single person on this call knows, accepts, and understands the importance of physical exercise on our physical health, right? No one's going to question that. We all understand it. This has been messaging that we've received our entire lives, right? And so the practice of mindfulness is the same, except we're talking about kind of our minds. This is how we keep our minds healthy. So when we're practicing mindfulness, we're really exercising the mindfulness muscles in our brains so that we can be less reactive and more aware. So when we're bringing these two definitions together, mindfulness and, and talking about our relationship with money, what I'm talking about is this practice and bringing curiosity to our thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, and emotions towards money so that we can consciously align our financial actions with our goals and values, right? So it's bringing awareness to the way that we think, believe, behave, and our emotions towards money so that we can make better financial choices. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Ready. <laughs> So why should we care? Why does it matter? Like, why does it matter if we do this or not? Well, it matters to me as an advisor and someone who's been in this industry for 20 plus years, because every day I'm talking to participants in retirement plans or my clients about money, right? And money can be a very scary topic for many of us. There was a study done a few years ago by Wells Fargo that uh, showed 44% of Americans would rather talk about death politics or religion than talk uh, with a loved one about money, right? That's a lot of people who would rather contemplate their own death than have a talk about money, right? That's <laughs> pretty dramatic when you think about it. Um, there was another study done last year by Credit One, uh, sorry, by Capital One CreditWise that showed uh, that 73% of Americans uh, ranked their finances as their most significant source of stress in 2021. So this is during a pandemic. So it's not their health, it's not their family's health, it's money. Money is more stressful for 73% of Americans in 2021, according to the survey, you know, than anything else. You know, that certainly says a lot. And there's been hundreds of other studies. We, uh, you know, we don't need to name them all, but pointing towards the stress that money causes individuals. And we all know yeah. that stress can manifest into physical health conditions if it's persists and it's repeated over time. Right. Right. And then you, but you mentioned about the, you know, the fact that Americans don't talk about money and that mm -hmm. my guess is 
you know, sometimes when we talk about things, that's how we can relieve the stress. We can talk about it. We get can get feedback and ideas and objectivity from other people around us. If we mm-hmm. don't talk about it, then that stress is just going to continue to like build and well and overcome mm-hmm. us. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we'll um, kind of get into a little bit more detail with that too, about this whole talking about money is taboo thing, because that is a big a big part of it as well. And to your point, when we don't talk about things and we have reactions and emotions to things and we don't address them, they don't just disappear. I think we all know that maybe most of us know that this is something I learned the hard way in my life. You know, you have to actually process things as they're happening. Um, and that's all part of a mindfulness practice. Um, so as advisor, as myself, as an advisor, as Christine, as other folks that are, you know, kind of in a position to help clients, with their money, you know, understanding this is hugely important, you know, and as individuals, having a good understanding of our relationship with money actually puts ourselves in the driver's seat. You know, we're not being so reactive or, or kind of almost like a puppet being pulled around by the different ways that money can impact us because money impacts so many aspects of our lives. And when we don't understand our relationship with money, we can just get kind of yanked around. Uh, money can actually impact us physically. Like we just talked about, it can manifest into um, health conditions. If we're dealing with repeated stress over long periods of time, money can impact us mentally, right? Think about, you know, if we have repeated thoughts about money, maybe it's this repeated thought that we don't have enough for retirement or the repeated thought that we have to save for our kids college or credit card debt or whatever that money thought is. If we're not addressing this thought and it's happening multiple times a day or multiple times a week or multiple times throughout the month, it's just getting in our way of us staying focused and present with what is actually happening. So mindfulness tools actually at mindfulness provides tools to deal with these kind of thoughts that are just on repeat in our brain. We're addressing them. We're present with them. We're not just like letting them happen um, during our day or during a conversation or, or whatever. Um, money can also impact us socially. You know, it impacts how we perceive our, ourselves and our community. It impacts what activities we can do and what activities we can't do. And it impacts us emotionally, as we were just talking about. Lots of emotions can be present when we're dealing with money. And if these emotions go overlooked, they just build, right? We have to process things as they're happening or it gets to a boiling point and the outcomes can be you know, unpredictable, right? So let's take a second and just um, think about you know, why or talk about, I should say, why money has this invisible grip over our lives. And there are lots of different reasons. You know, so money impacts us in the ways that we just talked about. Why does it impact us in all of those different ways? Um, and I'm going to talk about three of them, but if you have, um, there's many more out there. I'm not saying these are the only three, but there are reasons why money has this sort of invisible grip um, over our lives. And one of them we, we mentioned already is that talking about money is taboo. Um, first, though, I want to point to this idea of this culture of consumerism that we live in, right? We That's just part of our American culture. We live in a consumeristic culture where more, more money typically equals more purchasing power, equals more stuff, equals this higher perceived status, right? We live in a country where net worth is often conflated and tied into our own self-worth, right? We're brought up to believe that perhaps more money is going to equal more happiness, right? And many of us who are a little bit older and wiser know that that is not that is not true, but that message is, is severely um, distorted for, especially for the younger generations, right? And this concept of does more money equal more happiness has actually been studied. Um, and Nobel laureates, Daniel Keeman and Angus Deaton did a famous study on does money equal more happiness? And what they found was that it does, 
but to a point. And that point is probably well below what many of us would imagine. It's really this point where our basic needs are met. Things like food, shelter, and other basic necessities. But once you go beyond that point, your emotional well being actually gets worse with higher income levels because we get caught in this, um, this idea of social comparisons, which actually uh, lowers your overall well being. So we start to compare what we have to what our neighbors have, to what our other members of our family have, and it actually decreases our overall well being. And this idea of social comparisons is really the second reason of why money has kind of this invisible grip on us. Um, because social comparisons, you know, it'd be great to say, okay, well, just don't compare yourself to others. But social scientists have actually studied this and they found that social comparisons is something that actually happens to us. It's not something that we can control. We can't just say, oh, well, just don't do that. You know, it actually just happens. It's it's part of, you know, who the, our makeup as humans. So if we can't control the fact that it's happening, what we can control is our response to that, right? So we can control how we're responding to this social comparison. And one of the best ways to manage how we respond is this, is this is practicing mindfulness and practicing meditation. And I love this quote by Viktor Frankl. He is an Austrian uh, psychotherapist and psychiatrist. And his, he's famously quoted, many of you have maybe heard this uh, by saying, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose how we respond. And in that response lies our growth and our freedom. And so this space is something that we're creating when we're practicing mindfulness, right? We're actually rewiring our brain when we're sitting in meditation, we're practicing mindfulness away from reactivity, and we're tapping into our prefrontal cortex, giving us access to wisdom and knowledge. So this practice of meditation is this ability to move away from that reactivity that we've we just have as being human. You know, we've been on this planet for 200,000 years, right? Most of our time on this planet we've been in survival mode. It's really been only the last 200,000 years or so that we've been able to live kind of a more sophisticated life where we're not just trying to get food on the table. And that's for some of us, there's plenty of people on this planet that are still trying to do that, but it's really able to, uh, mindfulness gives us those tools to kind of rewire the way that we respond to the different stimuli in our environment. Does that make sense? Any questions on any of that or? Yeah, it, it makes a ton of sense to me. I just, I, I found it interesting when you said that, you know, when we compare ourselves, like we don't do that, that just sort of happens to us. So, you know, I guess understanding that a little bit more and then get getting out of that, you know, I think, you know, when I work right. with clients all day long, I, I see, you know, I see this, I see this in my personal life with friends. I see this in my client base, but so I guess if, if we can't control it, what do we do? <laughs> Right. So one of the things, um, and this is all part of kind of mindfulness, and this is why this foundation of, of this um, training I'm doing is based on mindfulness is so what, what, what I do now, because I've been practicing for seven years now is when I see that I, I, I it, it almost is like it clicks right away. I was like, Oh, there's my comparing mind again. I'm naming it. I'm saying, yep, there it is. It's not going to go anywhere, but I can choose how I respond to it. So yeah when we have a meditation practice, we learn how to work with some different thoughts and beliefs and emotions that come up. And when we feel those and we experience those and we think those, we have tools to, to deal with that. So that's the way I manage my um, comparing mind, which is really loud and really strong. And it's something I've dealt with my whole life. Um, but it was interesting. A lot of this whole concept is, is, is 
you know, I, I started reading, I bet I do a lot of reading, but um, a lot of this stuff was in Brene Brown's new book. I don't know if um, I have a copy of it somewhere in here. Um, she has, oh, it's called Atlas of the Heart. And she's got this awesome new book and it talks all about the different kind of mapping or different emotions and feelings. And the big piece here is awareness, being aware when we're comparing, right? That's step one. So once we're bringing awareness to it, it's just simply naming it. You know, you're not not supposed to do this or that it's 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 being able to create space and respond to that are we going to get frustrated and mad at ourselves and feel shame and guilt because we aren't able to buy whatever car or go on whatever vacation or, or you know whatever comparison that we're dealing with so it's really just bringing awareness to it naming it and kind of you know letting it go does that help is that yeah i think that's a, a big key word is awareness and so just you know be kind of triggering that like Oh, like you said, like making yourself aware and just mm -hmm. pausing. Right. Right. Yeah. The awareness is, is really what we're, what we're building towards in mindfulness is just being like able to have that awareness more, more present instead of, you know, oftentimes we're human doings, right. We're just doing, 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 instead of being human beings and being in our lives and being in the moment and being present. And so it's really this ability to, to shift away from that doing mode and into this more open awareness presence with what, with what we're, our lives, what we're living, you know, what we're experiencing. Oh uh, yeah. Go ahead, Judith. I just want to say naming it is so vital mm -hmm. it's out there. Then it's not running around inside your head mm -hmm. and it can really be supported by your friends. Cause they go, yes. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've found that naming things really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Then it's not running circles, like you said, around your brain. You're like, wait, where'd it go? And then it pops up at an inopportune time. You're just like, oh, okay, there I am comparing myself to everybody else again. <laughs> not helpful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's that's right on. Um, the third reason I just will close with here, which we, again, already kind of touched on why money has such a big impact on our life is, is again, talking about money is taboo in our culture. And this all stems from fear right? We don't want to talk about money because we'll be laying it all on the table and people might judge us for not having enough, or maybe we have too much and we're not spending it in the right way. You know, fear of not knowing how to invest or fear of not knowing how much money we need for retirement, whatever, you know, fear is coming up for us. And whenever fear is in the room, I like to think of all of the other possibilities that could be present. So what if we reframed how we think and talk about money? If we didn't have to view money as a means of kind of consumption and status, what if we were able to make money decisions without fear being so close to it, right? What possibilities might arise? And so we can change all of this by bringing more awareness and understanding our own relationship with money. And again, with that awareness, we have less reactivity and a better chance at making financial decisions that are in line with our goals and with our values. And again, all of this is possible when we're bringing in that awareness. So we've covered a couple of main topics. You know, what do we mean by mindfulness in our relationship with money? Why should we care? And why money has this kind of invisible grip on our lives? Any questions on any of that before I move into kind of real tools that we can use um, to kind of implement this and, and dive a little bit deeper into understanding our relationship with money? No, I think everybody's dying to hear about yeah. the tools. <laughs> we'll be here for four more days. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm just going to touch on um, uh, these at a, at a high level. And um, 
just know that this is, um, I, this timing is great, Christine, because we, we talked about doing this months ago, but it, it ended up now, but um, officially the, all of these ideas and this concept and, the, and mindfulness and all of this is not like a, okay, do this and then your money problems and you'll have a good relationship with money. This is all a practice. It's something that you do over time and you learn and you get better at. So I've created a training, which is a four week program. If anyone's interested in learning more, please let me know after the call. But um, because these tools that we'll talk about in just a minute are, are all part of that training, I'm going to highlight them. You're, you're welcome to ask more questions. I'm happy to share any sort of information or do any follow-ups, but um, understand that this isn't just like a, okay, do these worksheets and this, uh, you know, quick questionnaire and you're going to be, you're, you're going to be on your way. You'll be fine. Um, it's really this practice of awareness that, that takes time and takes um, practice, you know, over time, we kind of get better at it. So let's kind of peel back the onion and start looking at our relationship with money. So again, this is looking at our thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, and emotions about money. And so how do we do this? Well, a couple of tools, as I alluded to, um, we'll, we'll talk about. And um, one, the first tool I'll mention is this money story worksheet that we use as part of um, part of a training. And so what our money story is, um, and we all have a money story and it, it would, our money story affects our financial circumstances and it affects our financial behaviors. And when we're unaware of what our money story is, we can often get caught in these unhelpful patterns, you know, unhelpful habits, unhelpful patterns. So some of the things that we like to uncover when we kind of work on this money story worksheet are, well, what were the money messages you got growing up from your caregivers or your parents? What was money like for you growing up? Did you have a lot? Did you have a little? How much money do you need to feel financially secure? And many other questions. But what it allows us to do is really explore our money beliefs and behaviors. Where did they come from? Okay, what did that look like for us growing up? And then how did we integrate these into our lives? Like how are these money messages from our childhood? Have, how have they been integrated into our lives? And then we can make some real decisions of which ones are helpful and which ones are not helpful, right? And kind of letting go of some of those ideas that maybe our parents had that we had to have X amount in savings in order to feel comfortable or, you know, whatever whatever those unhelpful patterns are from a, from a childhood, just which ones are helpful today, which ones just let go of. And, and you, don't, you don't know any of that until you start thinking about it and you're bringing some awareness to it. Then you can start drawing the lines to things that happened in your childhood and what, what you're doing today. Um, so that's our money story worksheet. There's also this money habits tool. And similar to the money story worksheet, um, when we look at our money habits, we're examining our own personal money habits. And we walk through how habits are formed. Um, there's this habit loop that often happens when we have um, habits and it's this trigger behavior reward system. So we look into that and we look into, are these helpful habits, you know, or do they need to be changed or do they need to be eliminated? Right. And some, I use some of the latest research in behavioral change, looking at some of the stuff from behavioral economics, uh, but many of these concepts have more recently been written about and studied over the last decade or so. A lot of the concepts um, that we work with come from Katie Milkman's new book. She's a professor at the Wharton School. She just, been, um, she's authored quite a few books, um, but her latest is uh, this, it's called How to Change. I use some of the research that Judson Brewer um, uses. He is the director for, at the Center for Mindfulness at Brown University. And he's done some amazing work bringing the tools of mindfulness to help people change smoking habits, eating habits. And uh, I'm taking a lot of that research and training and putting it into this money habits. Okay, how do we use all of the information that we know and we have out there in existing uh, form and put it into how our money habits are formed and how do we get rid of some of those bad money habits? 
Um, so we give participants and, and people a real understanding of how positive habits are formed and also how negative ones can be broken. Uh, the third tool is uh, really creating financial self-care practices. And so there's a number of different things, uh, different financial self-care practices that we go into. I'll highlight two of them. Um, the first is this idea of rewarding, of rewarding ourselves for savings, right? Savings often goes overlooked and unrewarded. We don't get the same rush when we dump, you know, five grand into our kids' college savings as we do when we buy a new pair of, you know, shoes, right? We get that immediate gratification. We're excited about it or whatever, you know, purchase that you have, you know, so savings, you don't feel that same kind of adrenaline rush that you might when you, at least I don't, maybe other people here too. But when I fund my kids' college or I put money away, it's like, okay, there it goes, you know, for another day. Um, so we talk about different reward systems that we can use and how we can integrate those into our lives to feel more, um, you know, fulfilled when we make those really big, important decisions for, for the longer term, right? And another uh, financial self-care practice that we, we dive into is really this, um, this simple acronym uh, I like to use, it's called STOP. And this is something that we can use whenever we feel triggered or overwhelmed by money. And so STOP is, um, the S is for STOP, so STOP when you feel that trigger. So when I say trigger, it means like, okay, you say you open your credit card bill and you realize that you went wild last August and you did a lot of you know, trips or vacations and you've spent more than you wanted to. So you're feeling like contracted, you're feeling maybe a little bit of fear or anxiety. Um, so you stop, you take a breath. So you're breathing. And whenever we can breathe in a way where we're exhaling for longer than we're inhaling. So it's a, it's a breath in and an even longer breath out. We're signaling to our autonomic nervous system that this is a time to relax. So whenever we breathe just longer on the exhale and, and a little bit shorter on the inhale, our body automatically gets a little bit more relaxed. So it's stop, take a breath. The T is for take a breath, observe. So observing those feelings in your body, what are they? Where are we feeling them? We're letting those emotions kind of work their way through instead of just like, oh, I don't want to shut my credit card bill, put it away. I'm not going to feel that it's too overwhelming. We have tools to work with that. And so we're not just pushing things aside. We're, we're, we're dealing with them in the moment. So we're observing that feeling and we're just, maybe we're breathing again, right? We're, we're letting that feeling kind of work its way through. And then the P is for to proceed mindfully. So S-T-O-P, stop, take a breath, observe, proceed mindfully. So that's just a very simple acronym that we can integrate into our life when we feel triggered by money, or really when we feel triggered by anything. Um, we're not gonna solve our money problems by using this acronym, right? <laughs> but it is going to take some unnecessary stress off the table when we're feeling triggered right? This is just a tool um, that we can use, kind of have like a sort of another way to manage those stress and pressures that come up throughout our day. Um, and money being such a big cause of stress, just something simple that we can have in our back pocket. Um, the fourth one is this idea of creating financial boundaries. So one of the ways we can help manage unhealthy habits um, is really by creating financial boundaries. And boundaries are important if you talk to any therapist. <laughs> And they're essential in every aspect of your life, right? Including your finances, right? Boundaries are just not just for relationships. They're also for your finances and for your spending. And it's another great way we can keep ourselves on track. You know, some people, myself included, um, online shopping is something that, you know, I, I tend to do more than I should, right? So I've created boundaries around that. You know, I don't let myself do that anymore. If I need something bad enough, I need to go out physically to a store and get it. And so by creating that boundary, I've 
you know, blocked my, you know, unnecessary spending. And that's the category I put it into, because that's usually when I'm buying things online, I don't actually need it. I just want it. So um, in order to stay on track with my finances, that's a great way to kind of keep myself reined in. Um, so those are the four tools. And the, the, the last one is really this practice of practicing mindfulness, right? And there are formal meditation practices and informal meditation practices that we can use throughout our day. Um, and so this is really just how do we integrate mindfulness into our everyday lives, right? And so we talk about formal practices, and that's really sitting on a cushion with a timer and working with anchors, which is like breath work or mantras or whatever that is, and really beginning to start to build a mindfulness practice. Informal practices can be used anytime throughout the day. You know, you're in line at the grocery store, you're driving, you're playing with your kids, you're eating, whatever. Like you can use mindfulness in any of those situations to be more present. And there's also tons of excellent apps out there that do a great, that do a great job of getting you like kind of the foundational tools to kickstart a practice. The only thing I'll knock the apps for is that because meditation is so, I'm going to use the word hard. I don't want to use that word, but because it's hard to kind of get over the hump and get really into it. I find so many people start a practice and stop it and they'll start it again. They'll stop it and they'll start it. And it's hard for people to get into this real uh, routine of having meditation as as part of their daily routine, because you never want it to be like another thing, like going to the gym. Like if you're ever like picturing your meditation practices, like, oh God, I have to do this. I don't want to do this. Like then you've got it all wrong. We're looking at it from the wrong angle. You want to approach this um, as something that you know is a real benefit. And so when you practice meditation in a small group, which I don't believe you get on most apps, maybe some of the apps have them now, like when you can practice in a small group of individuals, you're, you're, you're in this together. You're kind of going through this together. Um, you start to understand that all of the issues and the, the struggles that you're having in your own meditation practice are happening to everyone else. When we sit and we try to meditate, we start to realize that, oh my gosh, we have so many thoughts. I don't even know what to do with these thoughts. Like what the heck you start to realize that you're restless. You might start to judge yourself, right? You get into this like mindset and you're like, well, this just isn't for me. I think I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to do, you know, I'll try it another day. But when you're practicing in a small group setting, you're able to see that every single person is going through the same thing. So this is this shared experience. All of these things that come up, just come, they come up for all of us. Right. So it's really helpful to practice in a small group setting is my only point. I think the meditation apps serve a wonderful purpose, but having that shared experience with other people can also be hugely beneficial to getting you over that hump to, to really getting into your own um, meditation practice. Um, so we've covered a lot. I've talked a lot and I'd love to answer questions or um, hear your feedback. Um, all of this stuff that I've talked about today is comes from my training as a meditation teacher and my work in financial social work. And then also just being in financial services for 20 years and working with clients. So kind of brought all of these three, um, things together to kind of create this training to get people on, on a path to having a better relationship with their money. And I think when we can do this, it could be a real game changer in the way that we deliver financial education to individuals and the way that we approach our own finances. So I'm going to stop there and um, open it up to any questions or comments or anything else. Hi, Lauren. I have a question. This is all great insight. Um, and I really enjoyed hearing about your tools. I'm curious to know as an advisor, when clients, you know, are doing a great job in saving and putting money into their account, I always try, you know, I acknowledge it like great job. Like what are some of the ways that you, I think you mentioned rewards for, 
you know, putting money away? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's just this idea. I think if people are saving and they're putting it away, I think just acknowledging, like you said, that they're doing it is a great thing. A lot of this, um, the savings stuff, the rewarding ourselves for savings is usually um, like there's things called commitment devices. It's mostly if people have a hard time saving, if people are already saving and they're doing a good job, it's like high five, you've got this <laughs> great job. So I don't, I, I feel like it's more so for people that are struggling to save, like people that need these commitment devices where you basically like they, they have all kinds of different things out there where you can have these like locked savings accounts where you're putting money in. And if you take money out in the six month period, you get dinged 500 or whatever it is, whatever parameters you put up around you. So it's really, it's more of a tool to reward people who are having trouble savings. But I feel like the people that are already doing it, um, and this may not be what you're asking, but one of the benefits I like from this um, training and, and this approach to being more aware of your relationship with money is that I know a lot of people in my job and in my work that that have a lot of money and they've done a wonderful job saving it. But perhaps, and this happens a lot, you know, they're spending a lot of time looking at their balances and seeing how big it is. And then, you know, it, it, instead of perhaps finding ways to use that money to benefit others in their life or other causes that, that are meaningful to them. And so the fulfillment that people can get through giving and being connected with organizations that are meaningful to them, that's often something that I like to talk about and bring out to people that are um, maybe do have a lot and, and they're maybe not sure what to do with it. Have they thought about, you know, other ways to, to share that with um, different uh, organizations that are close to them or meaningful to them. And so those are, those are different conversations I like to have for people that are doing a really good job savings. I don't know if that fully answers your question, but um, I think congratulating and telling them that they're on track are all great things. And, you know, just how important it is to put that money away early and just the effects of compounding and interest and all that over time is so beneficial. Thank you. Yeah. What would you say? What would you say to um, say a couple that has very different views about money and how they could, I guess, get more aligned or practice like mindfulness around their money together? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of it is um, getting everyone on the same page, right? So so oftentimes, like if they are coming from wildly different backgrounds on money, like one could be a saver and one could be a spender, you know, just being aware of that and like having those conversations and like maybe looking at their own money story and why they are that way. And then having some awareness that, okay, well, I know you're a saver and I'm a spender. So we're going to come to terms with like, you know, I'm allocated this month, this much for spending this month and just making some really clear boundaries around that. Right. And I think oftentimes where a lot of the conflict comes in relationships is that there is no communication. You know, it's just, we're frustrated and we're each doing our own thing separately instead of having this um, communication and understanding of, of, of where people are coming from and why. So I often find that the, the conflict arises from lack of communication, right? Not fully understanding what the other person is doing. And, you know, if you're the spender side, um, I'm guilty of that, of the relationship, then being, you know, open and honest with what that spending is and why you're doing it. I have to tell you, my, I, I've reined that way in, like just being more aware of like the consuming to consume and more stuff to have more stuff. And like, you know, when you can bring some awareness to your own relationship with money, I think it can really change that. Um, 
the, the way that you're, the, the way that you're engaging with the world and the way that your own relationship with money is. So I would say for both of those individuals, just getting a better understanding of, of their own relationship. And then as a couple, what are their goals and what are they looking to do and how do they get on the same page to meet those goals? That so really, really, yeah, it's really ties into like their, you know, probably their financial planning picture together. And just mm-hmm. like you said, have a more open communication about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, Lauren. This is Carrie. I'm with Lexington. And this has just been so amazing. I love everything that you're saying. And one thing that we often struggle with, with many of our clients is um, they don't like to spend money. You know, they, they, they have more than enough resources to mm-hmm. last them and next generation and beyond. Right. But the mindset of, I have to save, I have to be frugal. I can't spend my money is such in, so ingrained in their mm-hmm. mental patterns that no matter how many times we, you know, illustrate and show the plan and their success <laughs> and you have enough and you should be spending and what else do you want to be doing with this? Um, what advice do you give to those, to those clients to try to encourage them to give themselves permission is kind of what it comes mm-hmm. down to, right? To, to yep. go ahead and, and use their resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think honestly, like some of the tools we just talked about, namely, like, why do they feel like they can't part with this like amount of money that they have? Like, what is the control there? Where is, where is that coming from? Is that something that was taught to them at a young age or their, were their parents like raised during the depression? Maybe that I know that happens a lot. I know with my grandparents, that was a big thing for them. So where is this coming from? So let's look at your money story. What was money like for you growing up, you know, and how does, and how does that maybe tie into the way that you view money today? Right. And then just even talking about, um, bringing some awareness to, um, I think, um, Ariana Huffington just had a, a great post just about gratitude and like giving, um, I think it was on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, but just the benefits and the, if you can get even one of those clients to, understand and kind of release and give themselves permission to engage in a different way with the way that they have, you know, taking a port and maybe start small, like start with a small amount of money and get involved with a local charity or some cause that's really near and dear to them. Not only are you going to be able to like benefit that other organization, but the benefit that the giver feels that's undeniable. Like that is like the people have studied this, the, the, what you, what you get when you give is so much more um, than you think, right? So getting people to give themselves that permission, and maybe that's going to be a little bit of um, looking at what, what money was like for growing them growing up, being mindful and clear. Like if you're, if you are being mindful about your relationship with money, if you have 10 times more in your savings than you ever will need, you're going to understand that that money can be better used elsewhere, right? So it's bringing in that mindfulness piece, like having them be clear about their, the amount of money. So maybe they just don't even know. They just are trying to like, they can't get there because of whatever programming they had growing up. And so with a mindfulness tools being applied to understanding their money story over time, I bet they could get there. It's not just maybe going to be one conversation, but I bet over a series of conversations and integrating mindful approaches to how they think about money could really impact them and everybody else, you know, that they touch with that money that they're potentially going to share. So I would say, say start small, have them look into why that is. And if you give them the sheet, like, Hey, here's the money story. Let's talk about this today. Let's see. Are you interested in learning a little bit more about this? You know, 
see, see what their response is. Thank you. You're welcome. That's my big one. I love, I love helping people that are like trying to save it, but I feel like there is such a need in the market for people that have more than they need to bring more awareness to that and giving back and the benefit that they will receive as an individual is just, you know, probably a hundredfold than what they would get just kind of sitting on their pile for, you know, for forever. So yeah. And you're in a good position to help them do that. So good luck. Be sure, you know, we're always look at our website. We'll be posting notes and there'll also be a podcast from today. So if anybody that, you know, you think can benefit from the mindfulness, um, conversation that we just had we can you can go ahead and feel free to share that and reach out to us if you have any additional questions thank you very much thanks for the opportunity appreciate it great seeing y'all we hope you enjoyed this podcast episode to listen to past podcast episodes and see our calendar of upcoming events visit our website empower-women.com You're also invited to join us on October 11th for our next event, Living Your Best Life with Dr. Dori Mincer. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity-specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult with their tax or legal advisor for related questions.